Well, howdy. Oh, yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I just, uh, Tyler and the, and the team just led us so well into this portion of Scripture. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So grab your Bibles or your apps and get to Romans chapter 8. And I am so excited about what we're going to be talking about this morning because we are going to talk about what it looks like to fight in the power of the Holy Spirit from Romans chapter 8. And I hope you're excited. You ready? Now, here's what I know what's going to happen. You're a little bit excited now. But by the time we get to the end of this, you're going to be screaming, all right? Uh, and then really next week, because next week is my, actually my favorite passage from, uh, from Romans chapter 8. But we're not going to be there, uh, but we're going to be in my like, uh, other, other favorite passage. Uh, it's a good Bible um, today, too. So uh, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first uh, section of this, and then we will jump in. And we will learn how to find victory over the sin that so easily entangles us through Romans chapter 8. It says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that not a great line? That's helpful. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For the mind on the flesh is death, but, the, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you have sent us, your Son, to die in our place for our sins, to forgive us of everything that we've ever done or thought wrong that is against you, that is hostile to you. You've given us freedom in Christ. You've forgiven us fully in Christ. But not only that, you also give us the Spirit. The Spirit to empower us to live a holy life unto you. And so, Lord, as we look at the power of the Spirit this morning, I pray that we might learn and apply your word into our lives so that we might experience more victories and less defeats. And, Lord, I know there's many people here that have... um, walked the Christian life, but have never actually utilized the resources that you have provided. So Lord, I pray that we might learn more clearly how to live a life in freedom that you've opened the opportunity for. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I've taught my, uh, my kids how to play chess, and which is fun. I mean, when, the, when they're younger, it's a little bit fun, but if you've ever played chess, it's a lot more complicated than uh, your typical kid games like Go Fish or Battle. You know, those are a little more straightforward, like higher number in battle you win, can you match a pair, it's a little bit easier. But chess is a little bit more complex. Because each piece has a little bit different move um, that you have to learn. So the pawns are on the front, so you have to learn they can only go one space or two spaces at the beginning, you know. Uh, you have to know that the, the rooks, the, I call them the little castles, um, they, they can go forward or sideways. You've got to know that the knights, they can go up two and over one. And, and the bishops can, can attack diagonally. And the queen, she just does what she wants because she's the queen. Um, you know, she can go angle or she can go forward, she can go sideways. And the king uh, is uh, inept. You know, that's, that's the king. He just stands there and he can only go one space, one space, one space. And so, and then he, and he can't really be any, that close to any of the other pieces because then they just kill him. And so he's kind of inept and you got to realize that with the king. And so I'm teaching this to my kids and, and my older two, as we've kind of walked along, they get it. They get the strategy and they're sharing the pieces. Um, but Jesse, my, my third child, I have four in total. You're like, how many kids does this guy have? Too many. Uh, just kidding. Uh, amazing. Uh, four, four kids. And so Jesse, my third, um, I'm a, we're t- walking through this, teaching him, and, and inevitably, as we're going along in the game, there comes a moment when, when he has a piece to move, and he goes, he goes, okay, can I move this here? And he's like moving the, the knight just like one space to the side, and I'm like, no, it, you have to go up two, over one, up two, over one, or side, over, side, you're just like, you, but not just over, you can't do that. He's like, he takes the pawn, he's like, well, can I just like kill this one on the side, or this one behind me? I'm like, you can't do that. It's not part of the game. And then he gets frustrated as I put him in checkmate. I can move my pieces. I strategically uh, beat him um, because that's what a father does. And, uh, and so I got him pinned down and he just gets so mad. And, and I'm, like, I'm like, buddy, you need to know how the pieces move, how the pieces work. Because if you don't know how the pieces work, you're never going to beat daddy. And I'm going to lord it over you. And it's going to be oppressive. And I will brag for the rest of your life. You know, it's going to be rough for you. But you've got to learn how the pieces work if you actually want to play the game. And the reason I tell you that is because the same is true in the Christian life. You have been given resources. You have been given pieces in which to live the Christian life. See, when you were saved by Jesus Christ, you have been given things in which to empower you to live the Christian life effectively. But I think if we're honest, a lot of us, we don't feel like we're living in the power of God. We feel like we're just trying to avoid mistakes. And for many of us, we don't feel like we're moving forward in the Christian life. We feel like we're just trying to minimize the losses in our Christian life. But I want to tell you, the Christian life is more than just avoiding sin. The Christian life is about pursuing the purposes of God. The goal of the Christian life isn't merely that you would be nice and good and have all straight lines in your life. For some of you, you're like, what are you talking about? That's just the purpose of life. No. The purpose of the Christian life is that you would be aligned with the Holy Spirit of God, moving forward to doing greater things with the purposes of God. If you know your resources, a believer, you, can live in this right spiritual power and live in new freedom. That's the goal. And so we've been walking through the book of Romans The first three chapters of Romans talks about our condemnation, the reality of sin in our life. Chapters 4 and 5 talks about justification, being saved in Christ. And chapters 6 through 8 is called sanctification. 
how we become more and more useful for the purposes of God. Less sin, more of what's right. And in order to do that, there's some things we've got to know. The first thing we have to know is this, your new identity, who you are. Secondly, we have to know um, the spirit that he has empowered us to fight, what you have. And thirdly, we have to know how to fight, how the spirit has empowered us to actually fight for the Christian life. And the first thing that Paul lays out in this section is this, your new identity. He says it this way in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. He says this. He uses this word. And if you have a Bible, I would love for you to get into the habit of circling important verses, important things you need to remember. And this is a crucial verse you have to remember. There is no condemnation. Get out your highlighter. Get out your little phone and highlight that little verse. Circle that word. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what does condemnation mean? It means this. It's that word, um, katakareo in Greek, for those of you that are wanting extra credit. There it is. Um, And it means this, to judge someone as definitely uh, guilty and thus subject to punishment, to condemn, to render a verdict of guilty, it's condemnation. He means there is, condemnation means you are declared guilty. The fact that there's no condemnation means this, there is no one that to declare you guilty. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is crucial. If you are in Christ Jesus, that means this, you are fully forgiven. And that word in is really, really important because it describes a sphere, like what you are in. And we were born in sin under Adam. No one had to convince you to sin. We do it naturally. Uh, My kids, I took them to the zoo this weekend uh, into Houston. and It was so much fun. And what I did not have to convince my kids to do uh, was this. Hey, Jesse, um, when you're bored... Uh, pick at your older brother Micah in the back seat and annoy him and sing songs that he hates and just frustrate the life out of him. Can you do that for your daddy? Like, I didn't have to convince him to do that. He just did that on his own volition the whole way there and the whole way back and the whole way to church this morning. He took no convincing to be a sinner. Like, it was natural to him, right? What takes convincing is not sinning. And he says this, that well, we've been removed from this, the realm, the sphere of Adam where sin is natural and easy and it just comes so easily and we've put, be put into the sphere of Christ. We are in Christ and with, when we are in Christ, there are many new things that come. And he says this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And he uses this word law in, in Greek, it's the word uh, nomos. And it's a formalized set of rules prescribing what people will do. And there's a bunch of different ways that Paul uses this word law, both in Romans chapter 7, where we just were, and in this section of Romans chapter 8. He could be referring to specifically uh, the Mosaic law, or sometimes he's referring to it as a principle. There's a principle at work. It's the law of the spirit of life. We're going to look at that in a second. Or it could be a force or a power. Paul uses the word law in all of these ways throughout this section. And so sometimes it can be difficult to parse out. What is he actually saying when it comes to the law? And I want to give you some uh, 
maybe they'll help in understanding this. Look at, we'll look at Romans chapter 7 to see it. He says this in Romans chapter 7, so just before what we're talking about. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. La, 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 la. What is he talking about? Well, we see literally evidences of all three options. So I find it to be a law, a principle that's at work, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He says, I I see this law, this principle at work. I want to do good, but evil I want to do as well. I feel that Adam pull still within me. For I delight in the law of God, that's the Mosaic law in my inner being. But I see in my members another law. And this is like, sort of like a force, another force waging war against the law of my mind, the, the desire of my mind, and making me captive. It's like a force of sin that dwells within my members. And he uses the same idea in uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. He says this, There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the principle of the spirit of life, has set you free in Christ from the law, the principle of sin and death. Here's what he's saying. Here's why I went through that whole little exercise. Paul is going to talk about principles that now are true in you when you're in Christ. There is a spirit that will bring life to you. It's a principle of life. And there's also a law, a principle of sin and death. And what he's basically saying is this. The Bible talks about this way. That we reap what we sow. If you, if you, if you sow good things into the ground, you'll get good things. If you sow bad things into the ground, you'll get bad things. So if you plant weeds, you'll get weeds. If you plant fruit trees, you'll get fruit trees. And he says this, there's a principle at work in the Christian life. Instead of sowing and reaping. That there's a principle of the spirit of life, but there's also a principle of sin and death. And he describes more fully how that plays out. We're going to look at it more in a second. But he, he's showing us, but there is a new power within There's no condemnation in Christ. The Spirit has set you free from what you were previously pursuing. There's a new principle at work that can be at work in your life. And there's a new power. You actually have a new power to follow the Spirit and not follow the flesh. Here's what he says. He's referring to the Mosaic Law on this point. For God has done what the law, Mosaic Law, weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says this, there's an entirely new power given to the believer. And it's both a principle that allows you to follow the law of God. There's something new at work within the believer that allows the believer to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. So what are those righteous requirements? What does God want? Well, it's simply this. If I was to summarize what are the righteous requirements of the law, it's love. Jesus summarized the entire law and the prophets with one simple phrase. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, as you look at the Mosaic Ten Commandments, that's basically how they break out. The first four are are describing how to love God. And the last last six are describing how to love um, others, how to love our neighbor as ourself. 
And so the summation, the, the fulfillment of the Mosaic Law comes if we actually love one another as Christ calls us to love, to love God and to love one another. But the problem is we, have a, we need to let that power work in our lives through the power of the Spirit. And what he's saying at the beginning of this section is this. Fundamentally, you have to believe something new about yourself. You have to believe that you're no longer in the sphere of Adam, destined to be locked in the power of sin. You've been released from that, and now you can walk in the power of the Spirit. You no longer have to do sinful activities. You can actually be free to live a new life in the power of the Spirit. And here's what he's really saying. Our new identity means this, that we have access to a new power to live through. And that power comes through the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to show you real quickly what the Holy Spirit does in the life of, of, of a Christian, but in the life of, of, of the world. The Spirit is first active in creation, Genesis 1. The Spirit is hovering over the surfaces of the water. The Spirit also convicts of sin. That's what it says in John 16. He says, I tell you, verse 8, and when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. He convicts the world of sin. He says, I have many things to tell you, Jesus says this, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but when you cannot bear them now, but when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit, he will guide you into all truth. So he convicts the world of sin and he guides us into all truth. He's active in conviction. Thirdly, he's active in regeneration, meaning... When a believer believes in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, immediately the Spirit is put into you. And he regenerates you. Titus says it this way. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You are being made new, regenerated, inside. It's like Wolverine. It's a bad illustration. But if you know X-Men, like when he gets cut, like it just grows back, right? So what's happening is your heart is being made new by the work of the Holy Spirit. It was broken and it's being reformed. And lastly, the Spirit's at work in sanctification. Galatians 5 says it this way. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you will not do what you please. He says, look, something fundamentally new has happened in you. You are an entirely new person if you are in Christ. The Spirit is alive in you and active and moving you towards the things of God. And this is so crucial. I'm going to give you one quote from a theologian named Sinclair Ferguson. He says this, Failure to deal with the presence of sin can often be traced to spiritual amnesia. Forgetfulness of our new, true, real identity. As a believer, I'm someone who has been delivered from the dominion of sin and who is therefore free and motivated to fight against the remnants of sin in my heart. Principle number one, then, is know, rest in, think through, and act upon your new identity. You are in Christ. This has to sink within our hearts. And every Disney movie knows this. Lion King, right? Have you seen the new Lion King? Hands, have you seen the new Lion King? Oh, praise God. <laughs> so what happens? Little Simba, 
is set up as responsible for his dad's death. And so Scar comes to him and says, you're no good. You are in the realm of sin. He says, the only thing you can do is run. And he runs off into the wilderness. He's hiding. He gets a couple of buddies. It's fine. Life is good. Akuna Matata, right? It's all, like nice things. But as he's in there, he starts growing and he becomes more lion-ish. You know, he's got the mane. He looks better. You know, he looks, looks not rugged. And, and then Nala, that girl comes, that girl lion, the cutie, she comes to visit him. And they get in a little scuffle and she pins him down. And he's like, I remember this. You are Nala. And, he, and she's like, Simba, what are you doing here? And he's like, okay, that, all that stuff in the past, man, I, I made so many mistakes, there's no way I could move forward. And then Rafiki comes, the monkey. He leads him out into the water. He says this, Simba, remember who you are. <laughs> it's my best like African Rafiki accent. I mean, and it's beautiful. This moment when he takes this this young cub that had run from everything that he could be because if he was locked in sin to say, Simba, you don't know who you are. Can I tell you something? Many of us stay locked in sin because we refuse to believe that this work of the Spirit has actually been worked in you. You are completely new in Christ. You have to know who you are And whose you are. You are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, the Spirit can work that you might fulfill the righteous requirements of law, that you could be the loving person we need to be. But in order to do that, we need a new mindset. That's where Paul goes next. He says, I the first working out of this has to be in your mind. Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said this your religion is what you do in your solitude. The overcoming of sin in the heart of our lives begins in our minds. And victory over sin is only ever the result of having our minds set on the Spirit. This is this in 8.5. For those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So what is this flesh? What is this Part that moves us away from the purposes of God. Well, he defines it this way. It's the unregenerate part of the Christian. That's what Paul is getting at. Galatians uh, 5 fleshes this out even more. <laughs> fleshes out. Uh, explains this even more. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. It's sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. There's other ones that could be included, but like, like, that's what fleshly activity is. So flesh is at one level blatant, blatant sin, choosing to run away from the purposes of God. But what's interesting is that the flesh isn't just blatant sin. It also could be covered up as religious sin. It says this in 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as the people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not, able, not yet ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For where there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? 
For the one says, I follow Paul, and the other, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? And here's what's going on in this section. So at one level, sin, flesh could be like blatant sin, but, but these people in Corinth are fighting over who's the cooler Christian. He's like, you know, I go to, I go to grace family service. I go to declaration. I go to breakaway. I go to, and you just like pick your team, and you're like, okay, um, who cares? <sighs> like, are you growing in your relationship with Christ? Are they helping you to follow the Lord? And so sometimes it can be like a religious fight. Like, well, I like this music. I like that music. I like that pastor. I like that pastor. And Paul's like, who cares? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. Like, who cares? Are you pursuing the Lord? And so sometimes we can cover up this, this sin within by this religious affiliation. So it could be blatant or it could be religious. And he says this about this fleshly mindset that we can have. The mind that's set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. For the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, and those who are of the flesh cannot please God. And so the question is, okay, what does the flesh produce? He says it produces death. And that's the, the simple word. It, it doesn't, that word death doesn't mean you're going to hell. Death means a brokenness from how things were intended to be. He says, when you're living fleshly, what happens is it breaks relationships. That's what Galatians 5 is all about. It's divisions. It's, it's sensuality where you're breaking people's marriages. It's all sorts of issues where you make brokenness there. But it also breaks the family of God. If we're chasing other organizations and religions and pitting them against one another, what we're not doing is building up the entire community of believers. And so he's saying what happens is what flesh produces is death. It breaks relationships. It breaks the family of God. It breaks you. And that's, that is what the flesh produces. And we don't want to produce death. We want to produce life. So he's hostile to God and it cannot submit. To God. And you're like, wait a minute, Kevin. I see how it can play out in the, you know, within relationships. I see that. But, but can't non-Christians also live fleshly? And yeah, that's one of Paul's points. Non-Christians can. But can't non-Christians do good things? I mean, can they be living in the spirit in some sense? Because I, don't I see non-Christians doing good things? And, and that's a question that was even raised a couple weeks ago um, by one of you guys. Can non-Christians live in the power of the Spirit and produce good things? Paul will say no. In one sense. And here's, here's the simple answer to that. He says, what happens when we are living in the flesh is that we put ourselves in opposition to God. Paul in this section literally says, it's impossible to please God. But I've seen non-Christians do good things. Yes, you, you have. We all have. They produce amazing technology, amazing music, amazing films. There's so many great things that non-Christians produce. Yes, agreed. But Tim Keller gives an amazing illustration on this. He says, look, it is possible in war to be on opposing forces. And if you are on the opposing side, siding with the opposition, 
it is possible to do good things, to polish your brass, to come early, to do things right in terms of your army. But the problem is this. Your entire orientation is against God. And so even those good things you're doing, your entire orientation of living is anti-God. And as long as your heart is towards the things of anti that are not God and God-honoring, it doesn't matter if they're good in and of themselves. They actually don't allow you to align your life behind God. And so it's an orientation of your life and your heart. He says, if you're of the flesh, fleshly, you are going to be oriented away from the purposes of God, and it means you cannot please God. That means I can't just live a good enough life chasing my own desires and hope that God will forgive me in the end because my entire orientation has been away from God. He says, on the contrary, though, on the other side of it, the Spirit produces good within you. He says this, you're, however, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. He says, look, when you're in the spirit, you can produce things of value to God and to others. If you're not in the spirit, you're ultimately not going to produce things that are ultimately valuable to God. Now, that doesn't mean that a non-believer can't produce good things. I want to be really clear about that. But it just means they've got an orientation that's against the purposes of God. You have to have the Spirit to change your mind. And so what does the Spirit produce? It produces life and peace. Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Spirit also, verse 9, gives life to the believers. And the Spirit allows the believer to actually live a righteous life. And verse 11, the Spirit actually empowers life to our mortal bodies. Meaning, when you, Christian, put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have the Spirit to empower you to live a life honoring to God. You do. So the question then, to wrap up our time, is this. How do we engage in this new fight? What does this fight look like? I have a new, I'm a new person because of who Christ made me to be. I have a new mindset as I'm following the Spirit. So what does it look like to fight in the power of the Spirit? He says it this way. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And so this fight is this. Fighting to put to death the deeds of the body. In, in, uh, in, in classic theological circles, they call it this mortification. That we would put to death the desires of our flesh, of our, the wrong thoughts, our wrong actions, and ultimately against our loneliness, our isolation. So the first fought, fight is this, against our thoughts. This quote is the most helpful quote I've ever come across outside of the Bible. Don't believe everything you think. 
I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with college students that basically have said something to the effect of this. Well, I just feel X. I just feel this way. I just think this. And, and what I would con- uh, ask you to think about is this. Is every thought that comes into your mind worth thinking? Is everything that you feel worth Feeling. I know it feels real. I know you thought it, so it must be true, maybe. But I would challenge you, don't believe everything that you think. Martin Luther says it this way. When you're thinking about sin within, you can keep the birds from flying over your head. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. For some of us, this is easier than others. Um, uh, slow burn, that one. Uh, he says this, you can't stop the thoughts from coming in. Like, just like you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. But you can stop those thoughts from making a home in your head. And for some of you, the first fight that we need to actually do is to fight the battle of the mind. To actually say, is this thought from God or is it not? In fact, I'm going to give you some questions or some thoughts um, at the end of this to actually think about, to actually isolate those thoughts. Here's what Paul says. We destroy every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul says this. I fight a battlefield in my mind and I ask myself questions to actually get my mind thinking in the right direction. So I would encourage you to ask these questions of yourself. Every time you have negative thoughts that come to you, where did, where did, this, uh, though, where did this thought originate? Is it true or helpful? If I told a trusted Christian friend this thought, would they agree with it? Where did this thought come from? Is it true or helpful? If I told a trusted Christian friend, would they, would they actually agree with this? I mean, when you have these negative thoughts of like, I just feel like I'm horrible and no one likes me and I'm all isolated and alone. And if I was like, if I was to actually tell someone, I feel like I'm horrible and I'm, I, like no one likes me. Like, would they agree? That, would they go like, yeah. You're, dude, you've nailed it. (laughs) Or will they say to you, what are you thinking? That's not true. But we let those thoughts dictate truth, and they're not. You don't have to believe everything that you think. The second part that he says in this new fight is this. You can fight for your actions. He says we are debtors not to live according to the flesh, but to put to death the deeds of the body. That means there's an active fight you have to Make against the desires of your body. Paul will say it this way in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And then he goes on to say this. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, look, I run, I discipline my body for the purpose of godliness. It's the difference between training like a professional athlete and training like um, my kids when they started playing soccer. When my kids started playing soccer, we went and played uh, hot shots soccer. And hot shot soccer uh, is about as exciting as it sounds. It's like these little kids with a little ball, 
And it's so funny watching these different kids because there's some kids out there that are driven. They're like, I'm going to put this ball in the net over this other four-year-old. You know, like they're, they're like determined. And there's this whole other swath of, of players, some boys, some girls, it doesn't really matter. And they're just like, they're playing over there. There are flowers over here, you know? And, and, then, and then they're more concerned about waving to their parents. Like, look at me, I'm wearing shin guards. Like, ah, you know, and they're just, and they're just waving to people as they're kind of going along, picking flowers. And you're like, yeah, you, you're on a different trajectory, um, which is fine when it comes to soccer. But when it comes to the spiritual life, I think some of us do the same thing. We actually don't discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Like, maybe I'll read my Bible. Maybe I'll hang out with a friend. There's a Netflix movie. I'm going to watch that. You know, like, we just, we kind of drift from thing to thing, and we don't discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And Paul says, look, I discipline my body. I beat it to make it my slave so that I can be effective in the purposes of God. And you can do that in the power of the Spirit. And it means this. Do you, dwell, do you read the Bible seriously? Do you apply it to your life? Do you intentionally spend time with God? Do you intentionally repent of sin? Do you spend time feeding your spirit or do you spend more time feeding your flesh? He says if you feed the spirit, it's going to be life and peace and you'll understand how to fulfill the purposes of God. You've got to fight for the right actions. So I'd encourage you to ask yourself these questions in your fight. When do I fall? When do I likely give in to sin? Is it late at night? Is it when I'm hanging with these people? Is it when I feel alone? Then ask the second question. Is there a predictable pattern? Is it common that you fall always in the same cycle of failure? My roommates all left for the weekend, and that's what happened. Me and my boyfriend were alone in his room, and that's when it happened. Um, it was, it's when I, I see people dating, and then I just hate them, and so it just irks my mind. And I feel lonely. Is it when I let all the pressures of everyone else around me like rise up, and so I get anxious all the time? Is it when I'm, is it when I'm alone? Is it when I'm with certain people? What is the predictable pattern? And ask yourself this question. What needs to be removed to stop from falling? And then what needs to be added to fight well? What needs to be removed? What needs to be added? Is it issues on your phone? Is it issues with your friends? Is it issues when you're alone? We want you to fight. And so some of you, I raise those questions and you're like, Kevin... You haven't given me a way to fight out of it. I've identified the problems, but I don't know how to fight out of it. Well, you were never meant to fight alone. In the closing moments, I want to give you the last part of this passage and the great truths that come in your new family. So you can fight for your thoughts independently, you can fight for your actions independently, but you're never going to win the war alone. He says this in Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, as a group of people, as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. He says, you have been bought as part of a new family. And I'm going to do something really awkward right now. You are in this room as part of a new family. I want you to take a moment, look to the person beside you. Is a brother or a sister in Christ. And I want us to do something that may be very awkward for you. You ready? I think the reason many of us continue to fall into sin, into bad patterns of thinking, patterns of behaving, is one, we don't know who we are. We think thoughts that we shouldn't. And we actually don't lean into the community of believers who God provided. And so you ready to do something a little brave this morning? A little bit bold? Just like an inch bold. I want you to take a moment and I just want you to leave your stuff where you are, where it is. You can come get in a second. And I'm actually going to ask everyone to come forward into this little area. So leave your stuff where you are, and I want you to come forward. So if you're here, you can slide into the rows at this point. Like, just come. Just, just want you to come forward. And so we got. I want to gather everyone kind of in these in these rows. So kind of slide into rows if you're kind of in that back row, you know, or like in these rows. You can kind of slide in in this moment. Just keep sliding because we're going to bring everyone closer. Oh yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's perfect. That's perfect. We're doing good. We're doing good. We're doing good. We're doing good. I know this is taking forever. So keep sliding into rows. Like if you're in those rows, like just kind of slide on in, slide on in, slide in. And I'll tell you, you're around people that you don't know right now. So if you're back there, just kind of slide on in. Come on, I need y'all come forward. I need y'all come forward. Like y'all gonna slide in? We're gonna, you just got a new seat. It's gonna be very fun. There's a new Bible there for you. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> And I just want to tell you, tell you this, and keep on sliding, keep on sliding. We're, we're fulfilling close. Just keep on, keep on. Um, it is the greatest honor of my life to be pastor here. And it's not because I get to stand on stage and wear a mic. That's cute. Um, it's because my heart's desire is to build communities of people that feel loved, cared for, and can change the world. That's it. I'm going to cry. And one of the things that hurts me the most is when it feels like the community of God doesn't love one another. When you feel isolated, alone, and separated. It's one of the things that breaks my heart the most. And I think what God wants, in fact, I've read it everywhere, so I know that's what he wants, is he wants us to be one as he is one. He wants us to care for one another and love one another. And you don't know each other. 
And so I just want you to take a simple moment right here and get to know someone you don't know right now. Get to know their name. Just one second. Just do it real quick. All right, pulling it back in. All right, all right, all right, all right. Howdy. I love that. See how easy that was? We want to be a place that you have a home and you have a people. And the only way you're going to win against sin is two dependencies. It's a dependence on God. And it's an interdependence on one another. We are the people that God has, in his sovereign will, brought to this place. And the spirit of God is working in this community. We're going to sing one closing song together, right up here up front. And then we're going to go to our table groups. But what I hope happens a little bit is that you start seeing these people as your family. Because if they're in Christ, guess what? You're going to be with them forever. (laughs) And we might as well start getting to know each other right now. So join me as we sing this last song. I'm going to pray for us. And then let's belt it out together. And then we'll go to our tables. Does that sound good? Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you have brought the community of believers together in this place. And Lord, I know it's so easy to get isolated and alone and to feel like we're separate, but Lord, I pray in this moment as we gathered in the front of this room that we might see brothers and sisters in Christ that are not merely happen to be in the same place, but actually people that you've brought together in the power of the Spirit that we might overcome sin within and move forward as one. So, Lord, if there's anyone that feels alone right now, I pray they would look to the right and to the left and say, actually, these are people that would encourage me. Lord, I pray that as we sing this closing song together, I pray that we might sing loud and in thankfulness for your work in guiding us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just in light of that, we're just going to sing Breakthrough again. And uh, we're going to tag it with another one of my favorite songs called Do It Again because we know that through the Spirit of Christ, that through the Spirit of God, that we can have breakthrough from sin. That we as, as a community, we're not just people that come to church, get a message and leave. We are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus alone, we're going to spend forever together. So let's just sing like that is true this morning because it is.